This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. We are uh, discussing Shaul Amelach, and we're in uh, the book of Shmuel Aleph, Samuel 1. There's two parts, Shmuel Aleph, Shmuel Bet. And we're in chapter 8. We're in chapter 8 in Shmuel Aleph. And here the Torah tells us about, we finished last week, we talked about Shmuel Anavi, who was a great prophet and a leader of a complete change of Israel, complete change of government, complete change of Kohanim, a fresh start. It's a fresh reboot, if you want, of Jewish history. It's 400 years from the time they came out of the shrine. They had a Mishkan in Shiloh, which was destroyed. We're going to talk about it. It was destroyed by the Pedishtim. It's very little about this in the actual Nach. It's actually in Sefer Tehilim of all places. The story of the uh, destruction of Shiloh, and it's mentioned also in the book of Yirmiyahu. But over here, the Torah goes, it's the end of Shmuel's, towards the end of Shmuel's life, and he's getting old. And he put his sons as judges over Israel, and their names were Yoel and Aviyah. Yoel and Aviyah, beautiful names, beautiful names, but they both have. God's names were included. Yoel El is God's name. Aviyah Yah Yudhei is God's name. Beautiful names, sons of Shmuel. However, unfortunately, as we saw the sons of Eli, it says Vahi, it says, His sons did not go follow his path. So Shmuel and Abi was unique. He was a great prophet. He was a great judge, but they did not follow his path. What do they do? They loved money, the Torah says. And they took bribes. They twisted justice. Now that is what the Nach says. The Gemara says, don't believe it. It's not true. They, didn't, they weren't so bad. But the problem is that they never moved around because it says they were Shoftim Beber Shava. They were Shoftim in Be'er Sheva. They stayed. Both of them stayed as judges in Be'er Sheva. Now we know Shmuel and Navi we talked about last week. He moved around from place to place. He went around Israel. He was a traveling, as a circuit, the, the judge who has a traveling circuit. And he makes a circuit around the Jewish people. And he brings all the Jews back to God. And he does a lot of outreach. And he teaches. And he has parties. And he has food. And korbanot all over the place. And they decided they're going to stay in one place. They're going to go to Beersheba. If anyone wants justice, you go to Beersheba. Now, that was obviously too much for all the Jewish people. If you're in the north, it's very hard to go to Beersheba, especially in those days. There was no transit. There was no buses and no trains, etc. So that was the problem. The problem is they never traveled around the country. Okay, one of them would have decided to stay in Dan, which is in the north, and one in Beersheba wouldn't have been so bad. But they both decided to stay in Beersheba. And the Talmud says, so that they could make money for their scribes and all the other people, the secretaries of the court, they could make money for them. And that's the problem. That's what the Torah tells us, that they loved money. They loved, uh, it wasn't really bribery, but it was uh, kind of, they did not follow the path of their father, moving around the country and judging all the cases. So justice was not available to all. That's the problem. Justice was not available to all. And that is the problem of the sons of Shemuel. So what happens is all the elders of the Jewish people, they go to, Mosh, to Shmuel and Aviv in Ramah, Ramata, wherever that is, a high mountain. And they said to him, you're getting old and your sons are not following in your path. 
please put for us a king who will judge us like all the nations around us. So this is the first request. Now it's interesting because the Torah tells us when the Jews come into Israel, this is at the end of the uh, book of Deuteronomy, Devarim, in the Parshat Shoftim, there are three mitzvot. The first mitzvah is to appoint a king. Now this is something which they never did for 400 years. But after 400 years of judges, after judges, after judges and failures and lack of unity, they decided finally we want a king. And they tell Samuel, Shmuel, Hanavi, this prophet, Shmuel, the judge, we want a king. We're fed up of the system of justice. We want a king like all the other nations around us. Now, the problem is, now, it's a mitzvah in the Torah for a king. However, there was another mitzvah is to destroy Amalek, which we're going to talk about. And the third mitzvah is to build the Beit HaMikdash. So when they went into Israel, they had three mitzvot to do. One is to appoint a king. Number two is to destroy Amalek. And number three is to build a Beit HaMikdash. Obviously, those are mitzvot that the king has to do. That's the king's job. So the king's job is to these three things. However, they fail. 400 years later, there's no king. They come to Shmuel and Nabi, want a king. Now the problem is, okay, that's the mitzvah. Shmuel and Nabi should have said, great, you want a king, you want to do the mitzvah, fantastic. But however, the way they asked was, we want to be like the other nations of the world. Now that is a problem. The problem is that if you want a king to do God's will, that's fine. But if you want a king to be like the other nations of the world, there's something wrong with what you're going about. There's something wrong with what you're up to. So that is the reason why Shmuel Hanavi gets very angry. And he says, you don't want a king for the right reasons. And that's why it says, the Torah says, Shmuel. It was very bad in the eyes of Shmuel. And Shmuel asked for God's guidance. Shmuel prays to God for guidance. And he prays to God. And God tells him, Shema Bekola Am. Listen to the people. They want a king, give them a king. They're not sick of you, they're sick of me. God says, they're not sick of you, they're sick of me, which is a very interesting statement. Now we have to realize that we only have one king, and our king is God. Hashem Belech, Hashem Malach, Hashem Loch Leolam Vayet. Hashem Belech, Hashem is our God, He's our king. Hashem Malach, he was our king and he will be our king. Hashem is our king, where it became a very popular song. Hashem Melech, Hashem Malach, Hashem Imloch Le'olam It's part of our prayers. It's funny we say this twice every day in the mornings. And uh, we see that God is our king. So if the Jews want a king, now why weren't they satisfied with a, with a prophet or a judge? They want a king. Now we have to realize that God is our king. And so God tells Shmuel, don't get upset. They're not complaining about you. They're complaining about me. Now, so that is... God's reply, but do what they say. Listen to their voice, but tell them what a king requires. Tell them what the laws of a king are, just so that they'll be informed and they'll say, wow, we didn't realize this involves taxes and this involves king's highways so the king can come along and confiscate land to build highways. This involves sending our sons and our daughters to serve the king as being servants in his household and etc. etc. They don't know the obligations of the nation to the king. So maybe if you explain to them, they won't want a king as much, but they should be informed of what the obligations are going to be. So tell them Mishpat Hamera, tell them the laws of having a king, and he's going to take your sons and he's going to put them in charge of the chariots and the officers in the chariots. He's going to put them in the army. He's going to make them uh, uh, dig. Uh, 
uh, stones and uh, make stones. We're going to see that they had to build, make stones for his palace and for the, the temple. And they had to go and they had to do all the harvest of the king and make up uh, horses and chariots, all kinds of weapons. And he's going to take your daughters and make them into uh, perfumers and, and uh, bakers and cooks and chefs. And he's going to take your fields, he's going to take your vineyards and all the best parts of your land he's going to take. So uh, this, <laughs> this is, uh, people don't realize, we want a king, but it goes, wanting a king, you've got to pay a lot of money, a lot of taxation to support the king. You know, the, one of the richest people in the world is the Queen of England. And she owns so much property and land and palaces and castles all over. So it's interesting that people don't realize, okay, you want a king, but you've got to pay for it. It's going to come out of your pockets. It's going to come out of your children's futures. They're going to have to work for the king and serve the king. And that's the part they didn't realize. So God tells Shmuel, they want a king, but explain to, the, to them what a king entails. So what are the laws of a king? Okay, very good. So he tells them what the laws of a king are. And they say, you know what? doesn't matter we want a king okay finally Shmuel says okay Hashem says you're going to get a king I warned you I told you okay you want a king I'm going to appoint a king now we come the Torah tells us a little bit of a digression about a man from the tribe of Binyamin now it's interesting Binyamin was one of the smallest tribes by then because of the uh, problem with Pelagia Shekiva there was a civil war all the tribes against Binyamin and very few people were left to the tribe of Benjamin. Whoever was left was very, very wealthy because the tribal lands were available to all the people in the tribe. And therefore, those who were, uh, had no descendants, uh, it was divided among the rest of the people. So one of the very wealthy people was a, a person called Shmokish. His name was Kish. Um, as became a slang to Kish is to get away, to get out. But uh, uh, Kish was... A, Kish was his name, Kish ben Aviel, ben Sror, ben Bechorat, ben Afiah, ben Ishimini. Ishimini is a term for Binyamin. And we're going to see this term Ishimini is also the Megillat Esther. that calls Mordechai Ishimini. So Mordechai was a direct descendant of King Saul, direct descendant of, of Kish, Ishimini from the tribe of Binyamin. It's interesting because when Binyamin was born, his mother Rachel passed away and she called him Ben Oni. The son of my affliction, and his father called him Benjamin, the son of my right hand. So uh, that was Israel, and Benjamin was the name given by his father, and that stick to him, Baruch Hashem. And Shaul HaMelech was from the tribe of Benjamin. So the, the, here, the chapter 9 of uh, Shmuel Aleph, it says there was a man from Benjamin, his name was Kish, and he had a son, his name was Shaul. Bachur Vatov, he was a, a young boy, and he was very big and very good. Um, and there was no one in Israel who was taller than him. No one taller than him. He was a massive strapping fellow. And the father, Kish's donkeys were lost. And Kish told his son, Shaul, please go and find me. Take one of the boys with you and go and find me my donkeys. Now, in those days, donkeys were very expensive. It's the equivalent of a car today. So donkeys were very useful. Um, in those days, especially with no good roads, they would go up and down the mountains. So it's like losing a jeep. A person loses a jeep, it's a lot of money. So he sends his son with a servant to go and look for the jeep for the two uh, donkeys. And they traveled all over, Har Ephraim, and they went all over and they couldn't find it. 
And everywhere they went, they asked, where's, where are the donkeys? Where are the donkeys? So what happened is, let's go back. Shaul says, let's go back. And his, his uh, servant, his, his boy told him, he says, no. He said, there's a prophet in the next city. Let's go and ask him. And he'll know where the prophet, where the donkeys are. Who's this prophet? Now, it's interesting. One of the words for a prophet is a Jose. Jose is a seer. Seer means a person who can see far away. So one of the words for a prophet is a, a seer. S-E-E-R, a seer, literally from the word to see. Jose is to see. He can see very far. And uh, so uh, they would go. Well, he's also called a Roe. Roe is also a seer. Roe. So here, uh, Samuel is called the Roe. Let's go to the Roe. Let's go to the seer. Because in those days, they would call a prophet a Roe, a seer. And Shaul said to his lad, It's good. Let's go. Let's go to see this man of God. And they went to the city. And they found girls leaving the city to draw water. And they said to them, where is the seer? And they answered, Go quickly. Today he came to the city. And he's going to offer an offerings in the high place. So in those days, after the temple was destroyed, the, the Mishkan and Shiloh was destroyed. Personal bamot were allowed. That's why, even though Samuel was a Levite, he was allowed to offer offerings. So in the temple, in the Mishkan, only Kohanim can offer offerings. But in private um, sacrificial practice, anyone can offer an offering. So Shmuel, who was a Levi, was allowed to offer offerings. So he'd go to the town, make offerings. Make offering. Now, people don't realize that most of the offerings were eaten. And a little part, the fats and the blood were offered on the, on the altar to God, and the rest was eaten by the people. So Shlamim and Nidavot, Nidarim Nidavot were, were offered, the bloods and the fats were burnt on the altar to God, and the rest of it was eaten by people. So it was a barbecue. They were having a barbecue, a ritual barbecue, if you like. It's a ritual barbecue. It's great. Why? Because you're offering something to God, and you're also giving to the people. And that's how we said, Shmuel Hanabi would go around place to place, making this spiritual meal. So a spiritual barbecue, amazing spiritual barbecue. And they went and to the spiritual barbecue of Shmuel Hanavi. And what happens is, They're going into the city and Shmuel is coming out to greet them, to bring up the offerings. And the Hashem and Hashem spoke to Shmuel. Before Shaul. One day before Shaul comes, Shmuel already gets the message from God. This time tomorrow, I will send to you from the land of Benjamin a man, and you will anoint him to be the king of Israel. And he will uh, be the salvation of my people from the hands of the Pelishtim, because I've seen my people and I've heard their cries. And Shmuel saw Shaul, Hashem told him, this is the man I told you about. <laughs> so here's uh, Shmuel is getting messages. Shaul is coming, anoint him. And even while he's seeing Shaul, God is telling him to anoint him. But he got Shaul and Shmuel, and Shaul came to Shmuel within the gate of the city, and he says, Where is the house of the seer? He's telling Shmuel. I am the seer. 
Come with me to the uh, sacrificial offering and you will eat with me today. And in the morning, you can go home and whatever's in your heart, you can tell me. And the donkeys that were lost to you three days ago, don't worry about them. They were found. And you are the desire of all of Israel. And you will be the one chosen from the father's house. You are going to be the king. And Shaul said, I am from the tribe of Benjamin. I am from the smallest tribe of Israel. And my father's family is the smallest family in the tribe of Benjamin. Why are you telling me this? Why are you telling me I'm going to be the king? And it's interesting uh, that Shaul takes, uh, Shmuel takes Shaul into his office, into his party room, where he's having this sacrificial offering and a, a spiritual party. And there's 30 people over there. He sits Shaul at the top of the table with him. And he gives him the best choices, parts of the meat. And uh, he tells Shaul, takes Shaul up to the, the roof, a bit of privacy, and he says, uh, you, I'm going to give you three signs that you are going to be the king. Okay, I'm going to give you three signs, and one of the signs is you're going to go back. Before that, before that, Shmuel takes out this the anointing oil. That's where the word Mashiach comes from. The oil of anointing, Shemen Hamashuach, Shemen Hamishcha, the oil of anointing, Shemen Hamishcha, and he anoints Vaitzok al Rosho, and he anoints Shaul as the king. And he says, you are God's chosen, you are God's anointed, you will be the king of Israel. And when you go away from this place, you will find two men um, in the, by, the, by the grave of Rachel, which is interesting because the grave of Rachel was by the boundaries. It was really on the boundary between Benjamin's tribe and Judah's tribe. And you will find over there two men and they will have your donkeys. So those are the donkeys that you went to look for. These are the two men found your donkeys. And you'll go from there. And uh, you'll find three men over there who are going up to Hashem's house in Beit El. And one is carrying three sheep. And one is carrying three loaves of bread. And one is carrying uh, a jug of wine. And they will tell you peace to you. And they will give you two loaves of bread and you will eat from their hands the two loaves of bread. And then you'll go to the mountain of God. And there you will meet a group of prophets who are going down with this musical instrument. Now we're going to see that prophecy was very much dependent on a very, very happy frame of mind. And part of the happy frame of mind was music. So you'll go and meet these prophets with music in their hands. Nebel, Betof, Khalil, they would have um, uh, Nebel, which is harps and drums and uh, flutes and kidor and guitars, and they are prophesizing. And the Spirit of God will come on you, and you will prophesy with them when you turn into a different person. That's interesting. So, being a prophet turns a person to a different person, not the same person, becomes a person, loses the identity and gets immersed in the identity of God. To be a prophet, a person's got to give up their ego. And that's why 
Uh, Moshe Rabbeinu was such a great, great prophet. He would lose his ego. He was the most humble person. He lost his ego. And that's how he became the highest prophet. Whereas Shmuel now is going to be a different person. Sorry, Shaul is going to be a different person. He's going to lose his ego. And he's going to become a prophet as well. So these are three signs that Shmuel Hanavi gave Shaul that he was chosen to be the next king. Number one, he's going to find his father's donkeys with two men. Number two is people are going to give him food on the way. And number three is he's going to fall into this line of prophets and he himself is going to be a prophet. And so that's what happens. Exactly what happens. He falls, eventually falls into the hands of these prophets and he starts prophesizing with them. And uh, that's where people started saying, is that Shaul? Is that Shaul who's prophesizing? Is that Shaul among the prophets? Wow, that's... So that's how he knew that this message from Shmuel was true. He knew the message from Shmuel was true. All the things that Shmuel told him were going to come true, came true. Exactly, came true. So that's, uh, now what happens is there's another meeting now. There's a meeting of all the people. So Shmuel gathers all the people together in Gilgal. And uh, the people are there. And he shows them their chosen king. And he shows them the chosen king. The only problem is the chosen king was hiding. <laughs> Shaul Melech was very bashful. He was very humble, extremely humble, at least when he started. And he was known to be a chosen king, but he was hiding. Now, where was he hiding? They were looking all over for him, and it says he was hiding El Hakelim. He was hiding among the vessels. That was the. That's how Shaul starts off. Shaul starts off as the person who anti-king, who doesn't want to be a king. He doesn't want to be the king, just like Moshe Rabbeinu didn't want to be the leader. Shaul, the best leaders are those that don't want to be leaders. So that's the best leader. So Shaul Melech does not want to be the king. He runs to hide. He's very humble. At least when he started off, he was very humble. But we're going to see eventually, I don't want to say he got corrupted, but a little bit of pride went into him. Unfortunately, he disobeyed the prophet Shmuel twice. In other words, he has disobeyed God's orders through the prophet Shmuel twice, and he lost his kingdom, unfortunately. He was a great tzaddik. The rabbis say he was a great tzaddik. The tremendous amounts of tzedakah. Any girl who needed uh, to get married, he would provide the uh, dowry for her to get married. He was a tremendous bad tzedakah and uh, a very good king. He was an extremely good king, but he had certain flaws, which we're going to talk about. Everyone has flaws in their character. And the problem is with Shaul is he, David also had flaws in his character. Shaul also had flaws in his character, but David admitted freely his mistakes. He was very quick to admit and to do teshuva, whereas Shaul was not as quick. And that's the reason why he lost his throne, we're going to talk about. So here, Shaul shows the people the new king. And uh, he, he sent, they have a party, and he sends all the people back home. Okay, uh, now there were people at that party who did not like Shaul. And they, did, they said, they spoke bad about him. And everyone got angry with them. They wanted to get, kill them. But Shaul says, I don't want to start off on a bad note. Leave them alone. Just leave them alone. So we see that he started off with humility. He started off with compassion. And uh, that was a very good start to his reign. Very good start to his reign. So now what happened is, first test is, the Ammonites come and invade parts of Israel. And there was a city on the border of Israel called Yavesh Gilad. And these Ammonites were terrible people. They came and invaded, and they tell the people in Yavesh Gilad, we want every man in this city to pull out his right eye, 
otherwise we will come back in three days and destroy the city. So imagine uh, every man in the city is going to pull out their right eye, blind themselves in one eye, otherwise they're going to destroy the whole city. And they got the seven days notice. So what happened is they sent messages all over Israel, please save us from the Ammonites. And uh, the, the messages came through Givat Shaul, which is where Shaul lived. And he told them this terrible situation. And Shaul, he, uh, he sent out messages to all the tribes, come and join me in this war against the Ammonites. And every tribe has to come or else. So he sent out messages. And what happened is a tremendous army came. Shaloshmon Elef Ish. Imagine 300,000 men came. And Yehuda sent 30,000 men. So 330,000 men. And he goes to fight the Ammonites. And there's a tremendous victory. And he beats the Ammonites. And he saves the town of Yavesh Gilad from this terrible threat. of Everyone had to pluck out their eyes or being destroyed. And that is an amazing beginning to his reign. And I wish his success would just continue. Shaul HaMelech. And uh, he brought salvation to Israel. And Shmuel said to the people, let us all go to Gilgal with the king, new king, and renew the kingdom. So again, so Shmuel is part of this new revolution of making all these 12 tribes. We said one of the flaws of the judges was they could not unite the tribes. So it was a tribal system, every tribe for themselves. Sometimes one or two tribes would unite to fight a common enemy, but otherwise it was every tribe for itself. And now Shmuel, well, the new king, is trying to unite this kingdom into a common state, a United States of Israel, United States, tribal states of Israel. And in fact, it's the first time in the book, it's called the land of Israel. The book of Shmuel, the story of Shaul, refers to the land of Israel. Usually it's called the land of B'nai Israel, which is the land of all the tribes. Over here, they're uniting together. This is, this is one of the revolutions caused by Shmuel Hanavi uniting the land of Israel, all the tribes of Israel, under one king. So a monarchy, revolution, uh, states, United States of Israel. Here we have a United States of Israel. Let us go and renew the Malchut, the kingship of Shaul, among the United States of Israel, in the place called Gilgal, which we said, which is a place where Joshua first put the Mishkan. And Reomer Shaul, lo yumat ish Hashem has made salvation and no one is going to get killed. Whoever mocks me, no problem. I'm not going to kill anyone today. We have tremendous salvation. And they go to Gilgal and they renew the kingdom. And Shmuel said to all the Jews, I listened to your voice, whatever you told me, and I made a king for you. And now here is the king who walks in front of you. And I am old and I will go and I will retire with my sons. But please tell me if I took anything from you against your wishes. Did I take anyone's ox? Did I take anyone's donkey? Who have I afflicted? Who have I wronged in justice? And uh, I will give back any money that you think I owe. This is amazing. This is tremendous Humility and righteousness from Shmuel Hanavi telling the people, if you think I'm guilty of anything, now's the time to come and claim anything you think I wronged.
and they told him, you did not do anything wrong, you didn't take anything from us, you didn't rob anything from us, and Hashem is the witness that you have been righteous all the time. Baruch Hashem, Shmuel gets a clean slate from the people, and this is, this is very similar to what Moshe Rabbeinu complained, but Moshe Rabbeinu was complaining to God. He said, God, he says, have I taken anything from these people? Why are they complaining so much about me? But here Shmuel gets a clean slate. He goes straight to the people. And, you know, it's interesting because the people never complain about Shmuel ever. We don't find any complaints about Shmuel. We find complaints about his sons, but that's, there's no complaints about Shmuel. The only problem was that when he was getting old, they didn't want his sons to take over and they wanted the king instead. But here Shmuel bowing out from public life. It's, he's going to go and retire. But on the way out, he's t- asking the people if he wronged anyone. And they said, no, you never wronged anyone. And uh, here is the new king. So Shmuel is, is going back a little bit of history. He's telling them how they, they were backsliders from Hashem. And every time they backslid, um, they would cry out. And uh, Hashem would send a judge to save them. And here we are. And you go, you want to wish the Baalib and the Ashtarot, and Hashem has saved us from all our enemies, and we have to serve God. And so he goes through the history, a little bit of history, going through all the different kinds of uh, judges there were, and the people who afflicted them. But if you fear Hashem, serve God, listen to his voice, do his mitzvot. Uh, and you and, and, and the king will go after Hashem, then you will be victorious and you will have tremendous salvation. But if you don't and you're rebellious, Hashem will punish you all. So this is the theme with the theme of Judges. We find a similar theme through the book of Judges. And Shul is telling them, don't think things are going to change. We're going to have a king. You're going to be free from God. You're not going to be free from God. You and the king have to serve God. Otherwise, there will be repercussions. But if you serve God, then God will su- support you and you will be victorious in all your ways. So this is a three-party uh, covenant. The part, covenant between the people, the king, and Hashem. This is a three-party covenant. The people, the king, and Hashem. By crash will, Hashem. By ten, Hashem. And Hashem made thunder and lightning and rain on that day. So this is Shmuel is going to, he, this is something which we can't do today. You know, a person says, I have a message from God and I can prove it. How do I prove it? Hashem, make it rain. This is summertime. And it's raining in Israel. It's totally unusual. And the people are scared their crops will get ruined. And what happens is, and the people said to Shmuel, please, you pray for us to stop the rain. You're going to ruin our crops. Please pray to Hashem. So here they see directly that Hashem is sending the rain and Shmuel can pray and the rain stops. Amazing. And that's, so here is the appointment, the official appointment of the king. The prior appointment of the king was a, seems, wasn't so semi-official. And he was victorious in the first war and they supported him. And now there's another appointment. There's a covenant among the people, the king and God, which will successfully is building now a new kind of society in Israel of a, a constitutional monarchy, the first constitutional monarchy. Probably the only one in those days was uh, the Jewish kingdom because the king was under the Torah. You know, it's interesting. There are four parts to four parts, the powers of Israel, four parts. What are the four parts? Number one was the Kohen Gadol, who's the high priest, who's in charge of the temple. And uh, number two is the prophet. Number three were the judges. And number four was the king. So four parts to the constitution. 
So just like today in America, there's the Senate and there's the uh, Congress, two houses uh, and the presidents have three powers bases. In Jewish law, they have four power bases. So the king, the priesthood, the uh, uh, judges, and the loose cannon was the, was the prophet who would get messages from God, go rebuke this one, go rebuke that one. So he was the loose cannon and people were scared of the prophets would come and rebuke them. But the prophet was also scared you couldn't rebuke some people because they would turn on you. So it was a two-way system. But it's interesting to find four different uh, power bases in the land of Israel. So again, it was very important that the, all the power should not be in one person's hand. So the power is not all in the king's hand. He was under the Sanhedrin. He was under the courts. So it was a constitutional monarchy, the first constitutional monarchy in history. So here is uh, Shmuel Hanavi is setting up the system. And uh, so it says, then Shana Shaul Malcho Shteshani Malachan Israel. So now Shaul, first thing he does is sets up a standing army. So before that, the tribes, whenever there were troubles, the, they would cry out to God, they would appoint a judge, and the judge would come along and appoint an army. Here is Shaul, the first king, appointing a standing army of 3,000 men. So he had 2,000 men in Michmash, a place called Michmash, and another 1,000 men were in the hands of his son, Yonatan, who was a one of my favorite people in the Tanakh was Yonatan, the son of Shaul. And what makes him so special, even though he was great in his own right, he was a tremendous warrior. He was a big tzaddik. He was a balmy daughter. He had tremendously good midot, which we're going to see. He was not jealous of David, who was anointed as his next king. In the least, he was never jealous, even though he was meant to be the next king. And he was one of, he's one of my heroes. Any one of my sons after him, Yonatan, the hero, uh, one of my best uh, people in, in Nach, one of the people I admire the most, Yonatan, the son of Shaul. We're going to talk a bit about him as well. So anyway, he was an amazing warrior. Shaul has 2,000 men under him directly and 1,000 men under his son in Betel. So now Yonatan kicks off the battle with the Pelishtim. And so you see the Pelishtim were pretty much in control of parts of Israel. Beit Shemesh, um, we, we know that that's where Samson came from and, and, and tried to fight the wars of the Pelishtim at that time. But they were still in control. And Yonatan kicks off the war by killing this general of the Pelishtim. And the Pelishtim heard. And Shaul blows his shofar. That was where gathering the people and all the Jews came. They heard that Shaul had uh, killed this uh, delegate of the Pelishtim. And uh, they all cried out. And they all ran after Shaul to Gilgal, to place Gilgal. And the Pelishtim gathered to fight Israel 30,000 chariots. That's a lot. 30,000 chariots, like 30,000 tanks. Sheshet alafim parashim and 6,000 horsemen. Ve'am kechol, and men like the sand. Asher al-Fatiyam, Larov, so many men, so many warriors. And they came and they camped in a place called Mechmash. And the Jews were so scared. They were terrified. They went and hid in all the caves and behind the rocks and in, uh, in uh, pits and the earths. They were hiding from the Pelishtim. Terrible, terrible. And they ran away and they crossed the Jordan. 
So uh, Shaul gathered his army, and before you knew it, most of them ran away. And Shua told Shaul, don't do anything till I come. Seven days' time, we, I will come, I will offer an offering, and then you are allowed to fight. Don't fight before that. But Shaul sees all of you running away, and Shaul says, I can't wait for Shua to come. And the people are, are gone, and I have to bring the offering. So Shaul offers up the offering, and as soon as he offers up the offering, this is one of the tests. This is the first test of Shaul that he failed. So Shaul says, wait for me to come and offer up the offering. Shaul says, I'm waiting, I'm waiting, I'm waiting. You're not coming. The people are running away. I can't wait for you anymore. He offers up the offering. As soon as he offers up, Shaul shows up. And Shaul goes very innocently to go to bless Shmuel. Shmuel says, what have you done? And Shaul says, it's not my fault. I saw all the people be, he's scattering away. My army is wandering away. In the, and the, there's a massive army of Pilishtim in Mechmash. And I said, I better go and fight the Pilishtim before uh, my army runs away. And Shmuel said to Shaul, this culture, you fell, you tripped up. What I told you is God's command. And you failed at God's command. Hashem prepared your kingdom, Israel, forever. You were going to have a kingdom forever. And now your kingdom will not stand. Hashem desired you because of your heart. And Hashem appointed you as the, as the, king, as the, as the Lord over Israel. But now Hashem regrets this. Oh, this is tough. So Shaul goes back to his place, and Shaul is left over there with 600 men. That's all the men that came to fight the hundreds of thousands of Pelishtim. Okay, so now what happens is the British team divide into three, three columns. They go into different places to go and trap uh, Shaul's army. And what happens is there's a tremendous victory for Shaul and his son. Single-handedly, Yonatan and his armor bearer, amazingly, they go and it's a miracle. Really, it's a miracle. And uh, they go and they, um, they cause havoc among the British team and the British team are terrified. And they run away. Now, what's interesting is here is one of the um, vows that uh, Shaul makes. And this is very common. We find that there's a fast called the fast of Esther. Why is it called the fast of Esther? It's not the time where Esther fasted. Esther fasted in the month of Nisan, which is Pesach. Um, and Haman wanted to kill the Jews in the following Adar. We fast in the following Adar, the 13th of Adar. Which is why is it fast? Because Jews, when they fought in the army, they would fast the day of the battle. So most battles in those days would be over in one day. They never fought at night. They would fight through the daytime. They couldn't see at night. And they would program it to fight in the day. So they would fast for a day. The day of the battle, they would fast. That's, and that was the fast of Esther. It was the fast of the army of Jews fighting the enemy. And that was the day that they got a decree from the king, a second decree that the Jews can defend themselves. So we see the Jews would fast every day that they fight. And here Shaul says, he declares a fast, and no one's allowed to eat on that fast day. And uh, Yonatan was not there. Yonatan already went to start battle with the Pelish team. He didn't hear this. And he goes and he fights with his armor bearer. And uh, tremendous victory. 
a tremendous victory in the hands of the Jews. And Yonatan is exhausted and hungry and thirsty. And he goes, he's in the forest with his armor bearer. They just, they, they really vanquished a whole bunch of Palestine. And he didn't hear about the vow. And he sees honey, a, bee, a bee's uh, nest. And he puts his uh, stick into the honey. And he licks the honey just to get some nourishment after his battle. He's uh, terrified, he's exhausted and hungry. And it revived him. They revived him, he comes back, and uh, the people tell him, did you know that your father made an oath? You're allowed to eat? And Yonatan says, no, I didn't know. Uh, I'm ready to die for this. I'm ready to die for this. I broke the vow, I broke the oath of my father. And they said, no, we're not going to let you die because you are the hero. So Shaul says, you are the hero. They wouldn't allow Shaul to do anything to Yonatan. He was the hero of the moment. And he, he got away with it. Baruch Hashem, he got away with it. Sadiq is Yonatan. And that's the first, that's the second battle that Shaul was involved with, but that was his first error. But nevertheless, Shaul offers offerings to God and a thanksgiving that he beat the Pelishtim. But the Pelishtim were not vanquished. They were always a thorn in the side of Shaul all his days. They were always a thorn in the side of Shaul. And uh, so that's a very, uh, uh, another story. And um So they wouldn't allow Shaul to, to destroy Yonatan Baruch Hashem. Yonatan survives. And now we come to a major battle. And this is a famous battle, famous battle that uh, the Palestinian went back to their place. And Shaul now gets more, he divides the land, he has more land from the enemies around, he fights all the enemies around, uh, so he pushed back the Pelishtim, now he's pushing back Moab and Ammon and Edom and Mahut Sova, which is Syrians, the Syrians of the north, so his enemies in the north, the south, the east, the west, and the Pelishtim are in the west, um, Edom is in the south, uh, Ammon and Moab in the east, and Syria and the north, nothing's changed in the Middle East, but Shaul is successful. And now he is going to go, the second mitzvah given to the, is to the king to fight Amalek. Okay, so we're going to talk about his family a bit later on. His wife's name was Achinoam, but Achimatz, and his, the captain of his, of his war was Avner Ben-Ner, Ner was his uncle, so his cousin. Avner ben Ner was his general, uh, who was a big Sadiq and was buried in Hebron. We have to talk about what happened to Avner ben Ner, big general of Shaul. And he was unfortunately, we're going to see, came to a very bitter end, but he was a very successful warrior, the, the uh, general of Shaul Abedech. All right. And there was a big fight with the Pelish team again, all the days of Shaul. And all the people gathered. And Shaul comes to Shaul. Hashem sent me to you to anoint you as the king on the people of Israel. And now you have to listen to me, to the voice of God. So says Hashem, the time has come for you to take vengeance on Amalek. The time has come to take vengeance on Amalek. You are now going to be the general of the army of the king. 
you are going to lead the army against, uh, against Amalek and you are going to wipe them out. They came to fight the Jews in the desert. The first war we had after the, the crossing of the sea was a war with Amalek. Everyone else was terrified. Amalek comes and says the, the rabbis compare it to a boiling hot bath of water. Everyone is scared to jump into the bath. And here comes this idiot, jumps in, Amalek. He jumped into the hot bath. You can't beat God. He must have known. But he says, I'm going to cool it down for others to come and fight the Jews. And we find a whole bunch of people till today, they always want to fight the Jews. Always come to, even though the Jews are defended by God, we're God's people. People think they can beat us. They're not beating us. They want to beat God. And God will not allow this to happen. And that's why... Malik is something really evil. They don't want to fight us. They want to fight God. They are the root of evil in the world. So where is Amalek today? There is no Amalek today. But there are people who act like Amalek. So Amalek today is not a race. Amalek today is an ideology. It's the ideology of the anti-Semites who, who hate Jews for the, because they are God's people, who hate Jews because they represent God in the world. And by hating Jews, they hate God. So that's Amalek in the world. Nothing's changed. There are people who are anti-Semitic from birth. It's in their blood, and that's Amalek. And one of the descendants of Amalek was Haman, famous then of Amalek. We're going to talk about Shaul Amalek failed to destroy Amalek. And because of that, Amalek continues, and it continues through history to the time of Esther in Purim. Haman was a direct descendant of Agag, the king of Amalek, which Shaul Amalek failed to destroy. And because of that, we had another terrible episode with Amalek in Persia. And the Persians today are not much better. The leaders of Persia, the Khomeinis, are not much better today. They want to destroy us in Israel. They want to destroy us uh, because we represent God in the Middle East. So they want to destroy us. And there's rather shame, just like we beat Amalek in the time of Shaul, not completely. And we beat Amalek in the time of Haman. We would also beat Amalek in today's day and age. Israel Hashem altogether. So this is the second command Shaul has. Destroy Amalek. And this is the second failure of Shaul. He doesn't. He doesn't destroy Amalek completely. And what happens is Haman, descendant of Amalek, comes back to haunt us centuries later in the story of Purim. What's also interesting is the antidote to Haman was a descendant of Shaul. So Mordechai, Ish Yemini, again from the tribe Binyamin. So unfinished business. Shaul had too much mercy on Amalek. He didn't destroy Amalek. He had mercy on Amalek. Whoever shows mercy to the cruel are being cruel to the merciful. Whoever shows mercy to the cruel, it's like keeping Nazis alive. You show mercy to the cruel, those cruel guys are going to afflict the, mer the merciful later on. So Shaul showed mercy to Amalek. Amalek survived. Haman survives, comes back to haunt us. But a descendant of Shaul has to finish the business. And here we have Mordechai, who is descendant of Binyamin, of uh, Shaul's line. Mordechai, Ish Yemini, again, it's called the same name. Ish Yemini, man from Binyamin, comes to atone for what Shaul did not complete. Mordechai completes, well, not really. Completes as much as he can to get rid of the descendant of Amalek, Haman, in the future generations. Okay, so Shaul failed, doesn't destroy Amalek. And what happens is, Hashem talks to Shmuel, I regret appointing Shaul. He did not follow my commands. 
He didn't fulfill my commands. And Shmuel got very upset. He was praying to God all night. The rabbi is saying, pray to God. He said, Hashem, I don't want to see the work of my hands being undone. I don't. This is the king I appointed. This is the king that people demanded. You told me to appoint him. I appointed him. Please save him. Please don't destroy this king. He's, he's the apple of my eye. Don't destroy him. He cried to God all night. And uh, nevertheless, didn't help. Hashem was uh, determined. Shaul. His reign is going to be over very shortly. And Shmuel goes to meet Shaul in the morning. And uh, and Shaul is very happy. Tell Shmuel, bless the you to God. I fulfilled the word of God. What's going on over here? I see all the sheep are still alive. And uh, where is all the Malik? There's only one left. He's the king of Amalek. And uh, Shmuel gets very upset with Shaul. You, you, you've uh, disobeyed God's command. You left all the booty and you did evil in the eyes of God. So Shaul denies it. That's the problem. So that's the difference between Shaul and David. Shaul denies it. Shaul makes defenses for himself. No, I, I listened to God's voice. And I followed in the ways that God sent me. And I brought the king of Amalek, but destroyed the rest of Amalek. I left the king alive. And the people took the booty. The people took the sheep. They took it for the right reasons. They took it to serve God in Gilgal. And uh, Shmuel told uh, Shaul, he says, does God want sheep or does God want people who listen to him? God does not want, you know, someone asked me a question once. He says, listen, Rabbi says, uh, my office is open on Shabbat, but I'm open on Shabbat so that I can give more charity. Isn't that allowed? Isn't that good? I'm open. I work on Shabbat so I can give more charity. So this is exactly the answer. The answer is, does God want your money or does God want you to listen to him? So that's a very important answer uh, that God wants us to listen to him. God wants us not to rebel. That's the main thing. What does God want from us? He doesn't want our money. He doesn't want us to give him sheep. He doesn't want us to give him offerings. He wants us to listen to his voice. Because Radish will be successful. This is what God wants more than anything else. He wants us to observe his commandments. So a person can say, you know what? God didn't speak to me today. And the answer is, no, God spoke to all of us. Why? Because if you read the Torah, God is speaking to us. So through the Torah, God speaks to us. And the first, one of the messages we learn from the story of Shaul is when the prophet says, you've done something wrong, don't try and deny it. When God says you did something wrong, don't deny it. Say, Hashem, you're right. Please forgive me straight away. Boom. That's what, exactly what David did. That's one of the differences between David and Shaul. That's the reason why Shaul lost his kingdom is because he refused to acknowledge his wrongdoing straight away. He refused. He tried to give excuses. It wasn't me. It was the people. And it's for you, Hashem. The offerings are for you. It's not for me. It's, I didn't do anything wrong. I, I fulfilled your message. And then finally, he admits, Please forgive me for my sins. And come back with me, Shmuel. And let's bow down together to God. Shaul said to Shaul, I won't go back with you. You have disgraced the word of Hashem, and Hashem will disgrace you from being the king on the Jews. 
I saw Shmuel Lechet and Shmuel turned around to, to go to go away. And Shaul caught hold of his cape, of, of his cloak, Shmuel's coat, and it ripped. He ripped Shmuel's coat. And Shmuel says, this is a sign. Hashem will rip the kingdom of Israel from you today, and he will give it to your neighbor who is better than you. These are very famous words. These words are famous words which they used over and over again. Yeah, today, the victory, the victorious one of Israel, which is God, does not tell lies. does not change his mind. He is not a person who changes his mind. So once God has made a decree that you're going to lose your kingdom, that's it, you've lost it. So now it's interesting because we saw this last week as well, this idea that if there's a, a gazera, if there's a decree in heaven uh, with, accompanied by an oath, you can never change it. If there's a decree not accompanied by an oath, we can pray, we can do the shiva, we can change it. But if Hashem makes a decree accompanied by an oath, it's impossible to change. We saw this in the story of Eli, and we're seeing this in the story of Shaul. There's a decree from heaven, and that's it. Hashem will not change this decree. But also we have to realize God made a covenant with Abraham, and God does not lie. God will fulfill his covenants. We saw this in Egypt. We saw this through the centuries. We're seeing it today. We're here back in the land of Israel after thousands of years of exile. This is the covenant that God made with Abraham, Yitzhak, Yaakov, that your progeny will inherit the land. Baruch Hashem, we are here today. And I wish you all, as Hashem will continue next week with the story of Shaul and the anointing of the next king of Israel, the best king we ever had. I, you know, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for Shaul. I'm, uh, you know, I'm, uh, it's a sad story. Shaul, a great man, big tzaddik, um, but he lost it. He lost his kingdom because of his small mistakes. We're going to see some bigger mistakes uh, next week. And we're going to talk about the anointing of David Melech, the great uh, king, and the, 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 the start of the line of the Davidic line, which will end eventually with Israel Shem with Hashem and David, which we should see speedily in our days. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.